ready when you are. <sighs> How many times I can do that? I don't know if that's such a good idea. Do you um, edit the slurping out or do you allow um, the slurping? <laughs> I am recording, so can I just yes. say that'll be the start of the episode? Just Absolutely. Out of context. Yes. Um, usually, I don't usually like have a coffee or anything. I might have some water or something like that. but To minimise the slurping. Yeah, because I don't usually... Usually I'm just doing it on my computer with people. But it's nice to be in the room with someone who is alive. And a slurper. No, don't put that in the podcast. Again, yeah. I mean, that we just will... extended the start. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm talking to Jess. You're talking to me. Now, it's Jess Piercy these days, is it not? It is. Yeah? Is it still weird to me? No. This is a thing I've never had to deal with or consider, mm-hmm. but a, a change of last name. Mm-hmm. Does, is it weird to hear? Is it foreign to hear at first? Um, no. Um... No, it's not. I'm with Shakespeare on names. Shakespeare says, what is in a name? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor any other part of a man. And mm-hmm. I agree. It's, um, yeah. For me, like, uh, when I was a small person, my parents sort of divorced and remarried. Um, and so name changes have always been normal to me. Yeah. Um, and being known as one name and then being known as another name feels fairly routine almost, I think. Also, um, another fun fact about names, my mum was actually adopted, so she has a name that wasn't given to her at birth. So she had a birth name and then her adoptive parents then named her another name. Right, like a pet. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. always weird, isn't it? When, so, yeah, when yeah. you have a pet and they're like, no, we changed, we didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did did she find out her birth name? Uh, or did her parents tell her yeah, what yeah, her original? her parents always told her. She always grew up kind of knowing, but it's in her um, her birth documentation. Right, and did she feel a need to change or to, you know, did she have any conflict over, like, well, this is my real name. I wonder if she ever had an argument with her adopted parents. I'm like, you don't even call me by my real name. <laughs> and she was at that critical well, age. Well, I think, like, she grew up in, like, a fairly, uh, I don't know, like, conservative country community, you know, where women are socialised to not disagree with their parents too vehemently, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. But yeah. I, I don't, actually don't know the answer to that question. I don't know whether she ever raised that with them and um to some extent i think if she'd been really unhappy with it she would have changed it back because she's that kind of a person right, right, right. but she hasn't right so. cool now jess you're an english teacher and mm-hmm. what else do you teach or what else can you teach or what, what else? else have you taught is probably a better question <laughs> or a shorter list what won't i teach yeah uh no that's not true i'm i i don't just you know teach everything for the sake of teaching everything but there are i've got some scope yeah um so since I've been at this school, I have taught photography, media, legal studies, global studies, and all the four units of English. Right. And are you qualified for any of those? 
I am loosely qualified <laughs> um, in media and uh, photography based on my undergraduate degree, which was right. in journalism. So right. I do have some understanding of, you know, the media, as it were, for that subject. Yep. And a lot of what you learn um, at journalism school is, you know, about shot types and, um, you know, how to take a photograph and the power of a photograph and when to take a photograph and all of that. What do you mean by when you take a photograph? Well, uh, there's some theory in um, in journalism and in photography, both you know disciplines separate to each other around you know the ethics of the job. Oh right, right. Um, so there's a really famous um, photograph of a fetus of a child that's being pecked at by a vulture. I'm not sure if you've seen that. I can't yeah, actually think in of the Sudan. Yeah? yeah, South Sudan. Yes. Um, so that would be like one of the images over time that you know people talk about and look at and go mm, do we act or do we pull the trigger mm. why it's funny you brought that up i actually did that last week with oh, year 10 we did you looked at that very photo did you a couple of photos That's weird that mm-hmm. coincidence yeah and we looked at it and we yeah sure what did they say well it's it's kind of one of those things of like well like knowing the whole context the fact that he says he waited for the vulture to spread its wings, because mm-hmm. that would have been a better shot, mm-hmm. really makes the students pretty uncomfortable. But we talk about whether it's appropriate he took the photo at all, or should he yeah. have helped. Yeah. Um, and the first response, clearly, is, yeah, he should have. I think the, a, a quote, I don't know who said the quote, but he is no better than the vulture for taking that photo. Mm-hmm. But then when you talk about, well, what's outside that frame? Mm. Are there more? Are there mm. hundreds of children starving? Uh, right. Um, in the exact same situation. And without that photo, would we be discussing it? Yeah, and that photo was then used by like UN security councils and, and UNICEF, I believe, used mm-hmm. that photo to <clears throat> get donations and then they it worked and their donations went up 78% in mm-hmm. the following six months after using so it. So was it worth it? So is, then is that justified... Mm-hmm. And then that's where the students really struggle because if you're standing there with the camera and you, they think of themselves, you know, as I'm a year 10 student standing there, well, I'm not going to take the photo. But if you're a photographer and it wins you prizes, but I mean, that's a whole tragic story. The photographer um, committed suicide later in life and people, if you go online, it's like, he took that photo, he committed suicide. One plus one equals two, but obviously there's a lot more to it than that. So it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good photo to use because mm-hmm. it's that thing of, yep, in the moment, bad, we disagree, oh, but in the end that helped. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Troubling. You know me, I like to just <laughs> annoy students by making them go, oh, that's hard. It's part of the reason you should yeah. remain. That's right. That's that. <laughs> sounded like a threat. You should remain. <laughs> you should remain. You should challenge them. Yeah, that's right. You've got to. You've got to challenge them mm-hmm. because it's challenging to everyone. It's and and you know it gets them out of that headspace as soon as possible that, of looking for the right answer because mm-hmm. it's not a right answer to. You can have a. You can be defiant and say no or yes one way or the other. But why can't you just go? Oh, oh. Today I thought it was okay, but yesterday I didn't. Mm. Or even if you say I don't know, then that you know process of working out 
why don't I know? Yeah. What, where, why, which part of this is troubling? And then what am I, by, by extension, what then does that say about my politics? Yeah. Well, then, which, incidentally, is something else I'm happy to teach. Oh, politics? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you went to, why did you go from journalism school to teaching? Because more can be achieved in the classroom than can be achieved in the newsroom. Right. Is that somewhere? Not in the newsroom, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, it just it's just how I felt. But did you start working in the field of journalism and... Yeah, look, I don't know how wise I was back then because, you know, they always say, like, you know, journalists and lawyers are, you know, of the same ilk. And so, I don't know, you know, right? Yeah. Like, um, but there's also a very optimistic view of the media and of journalism that they're the fourth of state, like, in a political sense. Yeah. You know, uh, holding, theoretically... Holding and, power accountable. Right, the yeah. fourth of state, like, that whole idea um, around holding people in authority to a standard, which I think traditionally has been done more effectively. I mean, it's always been problematic, but um, the change of media ownership laws in the country, um, like back around, I don't know when it was, uh, must have been when I was in my early 20s. and then, like, because, like, for example, we never used to have Sky News in this country. Yeah. Um, and now we do, and that's part of a consequence of the change in media ownership laws where less people were allowed to buy more, more. of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around that time that I sort of had to really look at the net difference, no matter where I worked, that I would be making and whether that difference was enough to satisfy my need to... Um, like enact change and not my own political bent Mm. right but the change was around that um, critical thinking mass right and that the mass you know populace have that ability for critical thought Um, so that is why I made the change so in the industry was there a lot of cynicism I would imagine there was, there's a gap. Well, I would have... only only if you only if you had morals. <laughs> oh, okay. Good answer. Because you know it's you know it's a business. You've got to sell papers. Right. Right. Like it's like anything else that you've got to sell. Um, right. So it was about viewers. It was about listeners. It was about yeah. It was about um, if it bleeds, it leads. It was so about not, not, causing not, a scuffle. So it's not about I am cynical, but I'm doing things in a cynical way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know that the people who were in that job view it that way. No, of course not. <laughs> but um, a cynical person would yes. say, yeah. yes. Yes, I'm walking in today yes. going, I'm going to be, this is the most cynical job you could have. Well, right, and right. I, mean, I think that there is a level of cynicism in that work. For example, um, you know, like you do go into work every day praying for like a hurricane yes, or like a violent, right. you know, murder or like a natural disaster is always good, you yeah. know. Um, and that's like the view that you start having, you know, and you, I mean, I make assumptions that people like that, you, you observe your thoughts and you think, oh, that's a weird thing to want to want, happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess the flip side of that is, um, and it depends whether you work in um, like production or in um, news, 
those that work and report on news, you know, there are some really harrowing consequences of that work. Yes, um, I was so going to say, it's, a, it's engaging with the dark side of humanity, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and so the morning of the Sandy Hook massacre, I was writing news scripts for the news presenter that day. Um, and so it was like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning and the news started coming from the US. Uh, and that was that was a rough day. Yeah. That was a really rough day because um, if, you, if you're doing that job where you're like writing news scripts and the news goes every half hour from 6 till 9 and then every hour from 9 till 12 or 9 till 3 really and then from 3 till 6 it goes every half hour again you are writing the same story but it can't you can't just repeat the same story every hour it has to sound more up to date and so you've got to reword every story every hour right. so you're really reliving rehashing that story every half hour every hour so you might rewrite that same story with updates 10 12 15 times in a day yeah um so uh, i do feel for um like at the anchors um, who are reading that stuff out on a repetition and I think that there is a real toll that that takes on a, mm-hmm. on a psyche yeah for sure because in the reading of it there have to be there has to be a certain detachment well it's a clear detachment otherwise they would cry yes. reading this story but that's yes. not their job is... no to make a judgment on it no <laughs> even mm. though it's horrific yes and you know they yes. obviously have empathy mm. but they have to be pr- the professional side of it is well, just and traditionally you're taught to be impartial mm-hmm. uh, and that now is changing because of fake news yes um or it's changed and now there's a problem around fake news i'm not sure it's like a the chicken or the egg situation right. there but um you know you used to just be impartial and you present both sides and now there's a real shift i'm told um in uh, academia around the teaching of journalists which says well do we give airtime to people who are wrong yeah like right objectively of course. wrong yeah whereas that didn't necessarily used to happen to the same extent there wasn't that there wasn't much rigor in that conversation previously. so now there's more there's in in the academic field are you saying there's more we need to be more accountable well discourse around yeah right. kind of yeah well um, that's heartening because i was did wonder yes because even especially around i mean a whole lot of issues but the the real issue obviously the issue of our times is climate change mm. and the way oh. where they would say a balanced report would right. be let's interview one yes. person who believes in it and one person who doesn't mm-hmm. and now yes you know and the argument always was well technically the balance would be you interview one who's a climate change denier and 99 people who yes uh, who believe in it yes but you don't have time to do you that you don't have time no so you give both other than they have equal weight yes. but then what does that say yeah so but it's important also i guess to delineate the fact that there's a real cognitive dissonance like while at a university level there's more rigor in the discourse around what ought to be done or how those stories ought to be managed or negotiated by yeah. individual reporters does that or to what extent does that matter when you're out in the field working for Murdoch anyway or out in the field working for Fairfax anyway or out in yeah. the field working for you know insert media magnate whatever yeah yeah so there's still pro- systematic problems yes there. 
around yeah. gatekeeping of information. No, that's what I mean. Like the academic side of things is all well and good, but at least it's mm. happening somewhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just interesting to note that it's still one of those industries that is very much changing, moving rapidly, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it's... Uh, I mean, it, the hard thing is that it's so compromised as well. Any kind of media is compromised, and the amount of people who are media advisors to high-serving politicians, if you trace their Lineage. job history, mm. were working for newspapers, mm. often writing glowing reports about up-and-coming politicians in the hope mm. of one day becoming chief media officer mm. for mm. said politician. So, mm. Yeah, and look, and this is the thing, right? Like, no, seldom in the media uh, is this topic talked about. No. And therefore... I made the decision, oh gosh, where will this be talked about? Oh, 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 this is a classroom conversation. This is not a newsroom conversation. Because if anyone in the newsroom followed the logic down long enough, you'd all leave your jobs. Right. Which they don't. But I did. (laughs) I was like, oh, you know, like it's about that following that logic through to its like next conclusion. Exactly right. Like, oh, I have a lot of capacity for like human misery, but not that much. Well, I mean, it, it reminds me of when I worked in a bar in Leeds. Yeah. When I left, I made what was quoted as the worst farewell speech of all time <laughs> because I took everything to that end. Like, yes. Right, this is a fun job, but actually what you're doing is helping people like poison themselves and yes. it's really sad. Yes. There's a lot of sadness in this, in this the industry. environment and all yes. this stuff and I just talked about that and then I was mm-hmm. like, all right, bye. And I'm like... What was that? I'm like, <laughs> I don't, truth, I don't, I don't understand you. why you would want to do this for a living. You can mm. justify it for, you, for yourself, mm. but really you're like, have some more poison. And you know, it's so weird because over the time that I've worked here, I've often been really drawn to your personality and I've never quite understood why. But now that I understand you used to be a barman, I'm yeah, like, well, oh, you know, that's what it is. When I say that, that was like eight months of my entire life. Oh, you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely formed part of your DNA. I think it was always there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it's a fun job, but it's mm. it's a weird when you actually, like I said, when you take things mm. to that logical. Yes, and yeah. yeah, and you're like, hmm, I wonder how many jobs. I guess that's why I'm teaching because it's yes. probably the, <laughs> the only job where I'm not going to take this to its logical. Mm. Yeah, I still want to do it. <laughs> it's funny because like people will often say like, oh, teaching, I could never do that. Like they probably say that to you as well. Like, mm. Oh God, how do you do that with like teenagers and it? And I think like, oh, this job is so much less brutal than yeah. working in the media. Like yeah. that's where the real depravity is. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, teenagers are easy easy to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Adults their behaviour is much harder to understand and Do you think so? I I would say the opposite. No, I find adults Oh, I wouldn't say the opposite, but I would say like humans are just like the logical next progression from where they were. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Like you what either I, gained the insight or you didn't. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, what I what I struggle with yes. in terms of like teenagers versus adults yes. is adults are very good at justifying their behaviour, <gasps> and teenagers haven't learned that skill yeah. yet. So <laughs> they're trans, point, they're yeah. much more transparent. Yes. Um, and more open, mm. whereas adults will do and say bad things to other people and then justify it like oh yeah yeah oh, the reason why this happened and my point of view is this um, I'm not allowed to have that point of view because I'm an adult the funny thing is we're sort of teaching in English we teach the people skill. how to get to that skill where they can justify their behaviour that's what I that's what I've always found is that 
the transparency and it's not as complex and especially like when you look at junior high school you're just like yep okay this can all be explained fairly easily students don't understand it and they're bad at lying I think you learn how to be a better liar in your life as you get older so adults are just better at you know being a bit more two-faced teenagers are just terrible at it they, they are, think they're great they? because they can convince yes. their friends but you're just like oh, okay this is all delusion but fine I read somewhere once that people who have authoritarian parents are much better liars than people who don't interesting I, I have been told by some very outspoken year 12s mm-hmm. I think it was the class you had when they were in year 11 in, when we had night school oh right? I that loved that lovely class, class very animated and lovely yes. chat that now, class could get out of hand yes. it was a good group and yeah. I had them in year 12 and I remember yes. some of them telling me mm-hmm. that you can't be too strict with your kids because then they learn how to lie yes. to get out of things. Yes. And I was like, that's a good point. But it's also a good life skill. No yeah. way. Oh, what are we teaching them again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, I'm really telling them. They're like, well, you know, all my friends who have really strict parents, yeah. if we're having a party, they have to construct this whole like narrative, narrative yeah. and lie and all this stuff. And Well, it all started with chemistry. We've got this assignment. Yeah, exactly. We're going over, yeah, yeah, all of this stuff. Whereas other people are like, I'm going to my friend's house yes there'll be alcohol here can i have 30 bucks here is my <laughs> yes i will call you blah blah all of that sure, stuff and yeah, they, yeah. and so they're like oh then you have better relationships with your yes. children and i was like oh that's good thank you mm. i don't know how they're going now but yes but it's yeah it's or that how kind you of thing. will go with that information yeah. when it's pertinent to you yeah now yeah. i think it'll be all right do you I think, think you're an authoritarian parent no 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 mm-hmm. god no mm. um in, did I, you have authoritarian parents no i i mean they yes but by the time I'm the youngest, so by the time it got oh, to I me, right. yep. it okay. wasn't the same. So I think my bro- elder, eldest brother probably would say, yes, we, yeah, we're more conviction about, mm-hmm. I think, my father. Uh, you know what? They were probably authoritarian. Yeah. They're authoritarian <laughs> parent. They probably were, but I never felt put upon by my parents mm-hmm. or like even that level of guilt. I mean, I didn't grow up in a Catholic household and I mm. experienced talking to friends and wives and things mm. like that who grew up in a Catholic... The, the mm. ability to impose guilt on your children is a skill uh, that is passed down from generation to generation. It sure is. But, yeah, I don't think... they. I mean, yeah, by the time they got to me... I, I was surprised when I turned 18 and my parents were like... If I go said, forth. Can I go... And they were like, you're 18. You can. Just let yeah. us know. So yeah. I was like, oh... Okay. Brand new world. So that's always in the back of my mind for my mm-hmm. kids as well. It's like, yeah, all right. So uh, then is that, like, did you and your wife both have that similar upbringing or she had a stricter upbringing? Will there be, like, dissonance between your approaches? Because Not like, really, no. Yeah. We're, we're a pretty good team. In because, like, in some ways, if you've had really strict parents, I think sometimes you end up going more that way because you yeah. know what it's like to be put upon. And so... You I think, think we both appreciated our parents to the to an appropriate level where mm-hmm. we could go that was good we liked mm-hmm. that part of how our parents and raised we're just going to omit x or y and yeah well yeah. And, and i think that's what seems to be happening with most mm-hmm. parents is that because in the past i don't think parenting was spoken about enough. no there's a lot of discussion about it and so many books about it mm-hmm. but i think the reality is the more you talk about 
parenting, the more you think about when you were a kid, what did you like, what didn't you like? Mm. And then you can really get down to the bones of... Mm. What worked and what didn't. Yeah, what worked and what didn't. And it's it's the long game and it's hard. It's the amount of work you put in Mm -hmm. early on. Uh, And I don't know. Mm. We can revisit this in a few years' time and see what my children are like. But Mm. at, at the moment, you know, you're starting to see like, oh, okay, all the work... I was put in with especially my eldest when she mm-hmm. was younger mm. he's starting to pay off now with a bit more self-awareness and a bit yes. more uh, ability to look at behaviors mm-hmm. not long after she's exhibited them mm. and say well that's probably going too far mm. I shouldn't have done that <laughs> but that's like you know that's 13 years of like yes. pushing back yeah. and, and that's always been the thing right it's the thing with so much of parenting is you have to do the hard stuff mm-hmm. a lot yeah like, why can't like they it, just get it like in, teaching and parenting yeah. like as such a like a parallel set of skills because i think mm. especially if you look at um like new educators coming in um mm. there's this kind of like excitement and desire and they understand the importance of relationships but also like really drawing that line between I need a relationship that's positive to the point where I can provide the tricky feedback that's going to challenge them. Yeah. And it's such a delicate balancing act, I think. Like parenting is probably the same, Mm -hmm. uh, where it's like, you know, I want to celebrate and adore and do everything for my kid to a point. Yeah. But, you know, at some point they need to, like, understand they have to make their own lunch Mm. because that's age appropriate. Yeah. And And even though I love them and I want their life to be easy. Yeah. I have to understand that life outside of my home is not going to be easy. And so even though they're going to complain or even though the lunches are going to make themselves not going to be amazing quality, yeah. I have to understand, like, that's a life skill. Making lunch is a life skill. Yeah, and it's and not it, a fun one. It's, it's it, like, I haven't thought about that as, as the link to... But when I started teaching, my struggle was like, I'm just going to turn up and the students are going to like me. Oh, yeah. The end. I'm a likable guy. Yeah, I'm nice. I'm a nice person. <laughs> yeah. I, and I know stuff. What's not to like? Yeah. Why, why would anyone not like me? That yeah. kind of thing. And it's similar in parenting of like, uh, okay, I have to put aside the ego mm. to, mm. I can't get anywhere unless yeah. they have that respect. And now I think that used to be fear. I think yes. parenting used to be, I'm not going to get anywhere if they don't fear me. They don't Teachers yeah don't if if my students don't fear me then i won't get anywhere that kind of discipline but then you learn oh okay right i've got to wait they're becoming a really good liar (laughs) yeah exactly or like in a classroom you're like oh this class says they don't want discipline but without it they're they're out of control yeah and it's the same kind of thing like Mm -hmm. the hard classes that you have it and this is something i would have if this was at uni when I was learning to be a teacher if they had said some classes will take three terms of hard work to get them to a point then you would go uh that's uh, I thought I would just turn up and that would be it (laughs) that would take me a week and then it'll be fine but it's legitimately (laughs) but you have to learn that you have to learn like this class sucks I hate them is what I how I'd react in first year. This I hate this class. Yeah. They suck. Yeah. And it's That's like the ultimate wisdom. Um that's like the ultimate wisdom because um weirdly um 
I think, like, I have a random side interest in, like, animal behaviour. Okay. Um, How is that random when you're a teacher? <laughs> you don't think it's that There's random? There's no connection, is there? <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say the degree to which I draw on this in my <laughs> daily life. Um, but uh, if I was going to put a number on it, it'd be high. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this sort of conventional wisdom in animal behaviour um, that's sometimes a little bit cliche. You know, like people who go do like equine therapy and stuff. But I actually have a lot of time for that because um, so much of what is challenging in teaching and in parenting and probably just in life as an individual is understanding the extent to which the problem is the problem and or the problem is your reaction to that problem Mm -hmm. Um, which is like what you were saying about you know your first year of teaching you're like I hate that class and by your 10th year of teaching you're like what how am I playing into that yeah what's my role in that yeah um and that's that's the difficult the conversation that if you mentor young teachers is you come out of a complete disaster of a lesson first of all you sit in a lesson and watch a lesson be a disaster mm. and the teacher looking and happens happened so many times where they look at you and are like basically do something and you can and you have to just let it be a disaster the hard conversation is always okay so what what could you have done differently to improve that lesson and their first response is the same response that it is for everyone which is like fuck you they were horrible and the extent to which they buy into that kind of tells you like how the rest of that pack is going to go <laughs> yeah right well that's that the thing is the first response yes. really should be that right well, if, well, they, if it wasn't it would be, be it would be weird if there was like a 22 <laughs> yeah. year old that went oh yeah that's a good question because it's happened mm. it's happened any school i've taught at if something's gone wrong in the mm. classroom or in the playground mm. where if i'm talking to the deputy the deputy will say well how do you how could you have handled it differently and you're like no, no, we're not talking about me. We're talking about the kid who is yeah, the kid that we had to like isolate and all yeah, this yeah. stuff. Um, but it always that first response is always, "How dare you?" Yeah, like it it's is. their problem. Yeah, it is. But and you that's don't like the hard work of life, yeah, right? Yeah, is learning to watch yourself. Yeah, and that's why it's always good to have any whether it's a colleague or a friend who will listen to your rants Mm -hmm. but then go hmm do you think that Mm. you know I remember like picking one of my friends up and I just had an argument with my wife and I was like Mm. explaining what had just happened and Mm. god it's so frustrating and blah 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 Mm. and then she said hmm sounds like she had a really hard day and I was like oh there it is yeah right yeah right 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 got it yeah right (laughs) But it was like, oh, it's just so in your own head and your own point of view mm. that you just go, wait. Oh, maybe. It's, this is Louie. Oh. Because this is usually when I have year 10. Oh. And every Tuesday the bin turns up around this time and we're like, this is every week it's going to annoy us. So well, we're going to... casting glory. Let's name it. And yes. so we, they named it Louie. So. so this is the point at which your lesson every week in this classroom kind yeah. of starts going south. Because... Mm. We're good. Um, 
Sorry, we got interrupted by bins. Mm-hmm. So you were about to say something about oh, year 10. Yes, yes, when I was in this class talking to your year 10s the other week, um, I, I don't know what it is about. I'd be really curious. I need to go and have a little look at like psychologically what happens in terms of attention between year 10 and year 12. Right. Um, because I definitely felt like I really had to... Um, there were moments where I was thinking, this is some of my best stuff. And I could see like the attention kind of starting to drift yeah. in a way that I really don't think it would have for year 11 and 12. And I don't know if they're just better at deceit, like acting like they're paying attention when really they're not, like uh-huh. they were wearing sunglasses and napping or whether, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether there is something um, still finishing off in their developmental phase in year 10, which yeah. is compromising that attention. I've noticed that, just to clarify, we, we teach year 11 and 12, mm-hmm. but there is one class of year mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. called, I won't even mention mm-hmm. it. Um, the program is just one class and yes, I've noticed it as well. Like I have, oh, it's good. subtle, but I have to it's interesting, modify my teaching because the lessons, especially the double lessons are an hour and 50. Mm. With a year 12 class, fine. Mm-hmm. We've taught three-hour night, oh, yeah. night school classes where you do the whole week and in hopping. one lesson. Yeah. And they are energised and mm-hmm. engaged pretty much the whole time. We can't yep. say all the time. Mm-hmm. But the year 10 struggle yeah. and they drift and they... Mm, drifting is the right word. They get up and do a little dance and yeah, yeah. Yeah, all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff happens when you go have a little break. and yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you about that class because okay. you came to present to them and you talked to them, I guess, what we're trying to get through to some of these students is like an unlearning, wouldn't you say, of yes. like what is important in education. Well, what is important in life? Yeah. Well, that's a, I mean. Which I think is more to the point. Like education is an ends to life. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess, yeah, my point was worry less about school yeah worry less about succeeding at school and worry more about what is it in life that will allow you to succeed because what allows you to succeed at school is totally different from what allows you to succeed in life okay like the rubric for life has nothing to do with the clarity and fluency of your writing yes (laughs) yeah they want to code right that's the that's the thing with this class is Mm. that they always want to code for how to get an a they want a formula yeah they want a formula and i wanted to give them a formula yeah for for life but they were like a lot less invested no they're very resistant weren't they they were surprisingly resistant yeah um and it was because and i said this to them i was i was in their classroom under a guise committing a highly political act and that political act was to tell them that they had been institutionalized and it wasn't their fault and they had a hard time with that narrative yeah you had maybe two or three who were like Mm -hmm. who is that person i will follow them anywhere (laughs) they have changed my life and have been thinking about it ever since sure but i was surprised my disciples just how many students were like that was bullshit yes like no she's wrong i mean i'm still totally happy to have that conversation maybe i am yeah but i, I she's wrong know. marks are really important yeah um and getting a's <laughs> are all that people care about if i can just get an a i'm gonna drive a ferrari and live in a mansion yeah yeah and again like the and own a football team the good points that they had were you know as one student said this is all well and good mm. But can you explain this to my parents? <laughs> can someone please? And that seems to be where these guys are coming from. They're a year mm. ten 
selected program mm-hmm. and so they have they are the people who have been taught well done you mm-hmm. are selected mm-hmm. we choose you mm-hmm. to be special mm-hmm. yep and i mentioned that by virtue of that their dropout rate at university is not looking sweet no um and and like like <sighs> I'm not saying that that's definitely going to happen. I'm just saying, like, there are increased risks. You know, it's just like, it's like medicine, really. Mm-hmm. There are increased risks depending on where you are in life um, and increased likelihood of particular outcomes. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting because I didn't become a teacher because I was really good at school. In fact, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, things go on in my life when I was younger um, that meant that school kind of was my consistent place, but I was failing at it. Um, like I had to repeat a year. I knew what it was like to be like the dumbest person in class. Um, and I repeated a year at a different school, but... Uh, so I left one school, went to another school, did a year, year four, year three, year four. And they were like, okay, cool. So year four was not a good year for you. We want you to do year four here again. So I was like, okay. Well, I think actually my mum my was like, okay, good, great. That's what she needs. Let's do that. Yeah. Because she's going backwards and that's weird. Like I had been doing really well and then I literally stopped being able to read books that I'd previously been able to read. Like, that is unusual. It was backwards. So I was going backwards. <laughs> and uh, so they were like, and like the public system wouldn't repeat me. So then she moved me to an independent system where they would, because they were like, oh, we would love another year of fees. Great. No problem. We're happy to. <laughs> yeah. It's a business, right? Bonus year. Yes. <laughs> so, but then of course, like my parents, um, you know, like we couldn't afford to keep me in an independent school, like all the live long day, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's bills. So once I had caught up, they were like, cool, back to your first school. Right. And so not only was it clear that I had repeated at my new school, but then it was very clear that I'd repeated then when I went back to my original right, school right, because right. I was in the year below all of my other previous colleagues. Right. So uh, that Sounds was a real very challenging. exercise in resilience. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure that's how you felt at the time. You know what? This is a, an exercise in resilience. Yeah. Parents, I think this is fine. Well, you know what was... It's true though, but yes. I mean, for me, like... Um, so I knew what it was like to feel like the absolute right. like low of the low academically. Um, like I was in a remedial maths class in my independent school. So like I couldn't even keep up with like the mainstream. Like I was in, even in my repeat, after repeating or in my repeated year, I was still remedial. Like right. doing the content again wasn't even enough to keep me, to get me up to where I needed to be. Like I was, you know, excluded. Um to do remedial maths even then uh which look anyway whether or not (laughs) maths was ever going to be the thing that I was going to be good at is debatable but um I think at the time I just I was I had like a brain fog like I remember that whole period in my life I couldn't remember anything like I'd go to school with like my jumper my bag my lunchbox you know, a note, whatever. And I would come home with like none of it. Like my bag would be empty. 
you know, and it was just infuriating, you know, and the people were constantly handing things to me, you know, my teacher was constantly like chasing me out the door to the bus stop, oh, you forgot your lunchbox, you know, and then I'd be out, you know, the door in the morning and then I'd get to school and there wouldn't be a lunchbox because I would have forgotten to pack my lunch. Or I packed my lunch, but I left the lunchbox on the bench. Like, I just, I couldn't hold on to anything in my working memory. And um, so while it was an exercise in resilience, the thing I remember about that time was... It was like I couldn't even I couldn't even register hmm. the social stuff yeah. because I was so flat out just trying to get through the day with all my belongings. <laughs> wow. So um, I was not in like such a cute place, but uh, that obviously was like cataclysmic in terms of like forming me as a person because and that time that I had to just recoup and. You like, <laughs> like I get my shit in one sock, um, because by the time I returned to my original school, you know I was writing in cursive. Yeah. Well, they hadn't been teaching that in the public system, and so by virtue of cursive, everybody in my new class was like, "Oh my god, she's so smart! Look at her she's amazing a genius. She yeah. links the yes, letters. Yes, yeah, that's right. But also, like, I had caught up um, with the content at that point, and right. so all of a sudden, I was either on par or in some subjects kind of ahead of and probably in some subjects isn't it probably like my emotional maturity I guess was maybe ahead of that pack yeah by virtue of the fact that I like done all this weird different stuff and my whole world had been like interrupted repeated you know and then I returned to this original context and it was painful I remember there was a level of pain that I wasn't with those previous peers that I used to have but also I think like primary school is a horrendous place where you always feel some level of disconnect yeah. and hardship anyway and kind of overwhelmed by yes the sound and the energy the energy yes. of, of primary school yeah yeah like i oh yeah primary school is not i don't think primary school is like a good place for anyone yeah and almost i would say if i was at a party i would intentionally avoid anyone who was like a loved primary school Mm. Like, I would almost entirely... It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, okay, cool. We are not going to get on. Have a good night, though. primary school. <laughs> like, I don't know. I honestly don't know if I've ever heard that no, said, but I'm yeah. sure... But if you did hear that, yeah. you'd be like, mm, red That's flag. the same people that... Got about. Yeah, anytime anyone says that, oh, I love school, I love yeah, being at school. Unless they were, like, a really good student, but... It's kind of like... If you meet a person in real life, they're like, no, no, I think everything's going fine. It's like, cool, you're not paying attention. Red flag, I'm going to bounce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How good's life? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Can be. Yeah. If you it's have important a... to, to save the, the bits that are working, I yes, guess. Yes, that's yeah. right. You to recognise. You have to recognise the good days. Yes. You can't yeah. just keep going, well, this is yes. a good day, but... Yes. I mean, you can. People do it all the time. Yes. But like, well, it's a good day today. That only means tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Or in comparison to, yeah. Yeah, in comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't give someone a compliment and yes. put the word today at the end of it. Yeah. It's, I don't actually know if I, if you had a question or if I answered it. I feel like I just went down like a really long digression there. We were talking about why I became a teacher. Yeah, okay. And you but was, then the year tens. You were saying that um, it was important for you to, like to be, you weren't, good at school yeah, you, didn't, that's right. you didn't succeed yes. at school yeah that's right 
Um, and so it's it's like I didn't become a teacher because I was like, oh, cool, I'm great at study, therefore I'll be a great teacher. Like, I'm a good student, therefore I'll be a good teacher. It's, inter- it's very interesting you say that because I don't know if I've ever answered that question. I get asked all the time, like, mm. why did you become a teacher? Mm. When did you know I wanted to become mm. a teacher? And my story is always when I was in year three, I, mm-hmm. I had a really great year three teacher and I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. Mm. But I don't know why I became a teacher like that's the story Mm. and it's true but I don't know that's like very linked to that idea about um you the kids won't remember what you teach them they'll remember how you made them feel yeah I think like that yeah and I think that's that's what I've always Mm. gone for is like if I'm a if I become a teacher I can make students feel because that year three teacher was like there's no limits mm. right and that's what I've always enjoyed about teaching is mm. to try and tell students that there, there's no limit it doesn't matter what level they're at now that there's Potential no limit is unlimited. yeah yeah I and love that, that idea. we can you can be a remedial class or you yes. can be a low-level class yes and unless someone stops you and says listen to what we're talking about you know and people and you might see it from the outside and go well that's a very engaging class that class is very engaged but it's the same thing no matter what the level of class is all I'm doing is showing them that this is all learning everything we're doing is learning and therefore it's not about getting back to it's not about the grades yeah if if it's about anything the grades is definitely like the very last actual thing on the yeah, because I've had very low-level classes where mm. you want to say this is where we started and this yes. is where we finished. Yes, it's about moving across the continuum. Yeah, and that year eight yeah. class that took three terms, mm-hmm. at the end of the year, we did a what whole class mm. podcast where I put a microphone in the middle oh, of, the, cool. of a big table and we talked about homelessness in Australia mm. and they talked and they listened and they asked questions. And at the end, you have to say, remember, remember how many times you called each other gay at the beginning of, at the, beginning of the yes. year remember how horrible yes. our classes were yes. you've got to sh- be able to show them yes. that this is possible because yes. otherwise they just go oh it's day by day and they never yes. stop to think the minute you yes. can say no limit we yes. can but it's hard yes. it's really hard work but yes you've got to be yeah it's the same as parenting it's it's yes you go oh. how far you've come yeah that uh, like Remember at the beginning when you used to call everyone gay? Yeah. There were like some, I want to say they were intruders because they weren't in uniforms. I'm just assuming they were intruders. But there were some intruders getting around the campus um, a couple of weeks ago. And one of them was like, oh, what are you, gay? And um, that's like not that a common thing. Like at this level, I think often kids are not engaging in that kind of like using slurs. Um, But... uh, I had been coming like from getting a coffee or lunch or something and I just like turned around over my shoulder to this person who was a total stranger to me and who just thought I was a member of the public and I went yeah be alright if he was though yeah this kid was like huh oh oh yeah oh that's right <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah oh that word has uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, has, yeah. has weight to it yeah. yeah that's a good point actually yeah thank you like it was just like this really rude kid that was like oh oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's amazing sometimes how oh yeah, yeah. oh no no it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. just don't use it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's fine alright I'm going to ask you one last question all right. we may have already answered it because I'm sure it's all linked in which is when when do you feel most like you when you when, when there is your space you know it's the funniest thing um, I've just had a year off 
<laughs> and I'm back from that year off. So you have a, a baby. I had a child. Still a baby, or are uh, we? Yeah, like are we calling it a child? Are we a toddler? Over or? One, yeah. yeah. Um, and when do I feel most me? Yeah, that's the question. Mm-hmm. I think it is probably at like quarter to seven in the morning, <laughs> like at Shark Bay, at Browley when I have snuck out of bed, gone, had a quick dip, and I'm walking back. I think that's when I feel most me. Like, have been in the ocean and are walking back. Yeah. That's probably it. Hmm. Cool. All right. Thanks, Jess. That's it.